Hey everyone, welcome to another morning of our It Takes a Village series, where instead of hearing from those of us internally, we're going to hear from some voices uh, from our church's surrounding village. And uh, this morning, uh, I'm excited to sit down uh, in my living room with uh, a longtime good friend of mine, uh, longtime Niagara resident, uh, Ted Meridian. Long time is true. Long time. Um, Ted, thanks for being here. Uh, just give us a bit of an intro, kind of background on yourself. You said longtime Niagara, born and raised. Yeah, well, I arrived here in 1948. Okay. That's when I was born. Yeah. Figure that yeah. out, right? And uh, <laughs> yeah, I've been a longtime resident here. I, I've been self-employed uh, since 1973. I've owned several businesses here. Um, you have a consulting company right now. Yeah, right now we're, uh, yeah, we're, we do a lot of business. We're in six countries. We, we teach people how to play nice in the sandbox. <laughs> I'm also a professional speaker. I've written four books, uh, travel the world speaking, and uh, I can live anywhere, but I love Niagara. Yeah. I, I just, I, I like where we, we're situated. I, I like the people. I like the economy. And my daughter's here. My grandkids are here. Keeps you. My former around. wife is here. Yeah, and we're yeah. all best friends. So, yeah, everybody, everything's good. Um, diving in, I want to talk a little bit about how we met. So, years ago... Uh, I had done a talk on a Sunday morning and a mutual friend of ours wanted you to see this talk. And then after watching that talk, uh, you thought it would be cool if we meet. Oh, I thought, it, it, yeah, at first, at first, uh, she said, uh, you got to meet this guy, this pastor. And I said, wait a minute, his people don't like my people. Like, <laughs> like, like we aren't going to do this. Right? <laughs> and then she gave me the tape. Uh, and I was impressed because usually... You came up with boxing gloves, I think. Right, right. right. And usually with uh, with something like that, you, you're going along, you say, well, yeah, he's, he's okay, that's good. Well, I, I like that. But there's always that one point when someone is trying to speak about something uh, of another group or another issue. You know, oh, now why did you say that? Mm. Yeah, but you didn't say that. Mm. Mm. And the other thing is when we did meet at Cats yeah. uh, for, for lunch. Uh, Cats caboose, for those of you who are unfamiliar with our turf. <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah. And uh, so, so basically, what I was impressed with when we met is that I was an hour and a half speaking with um, a senior pastor of a Christian church, and not once did you quote the Bible. Not once did we get is into... Because I don't know the Bible? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> probably. But, but, but we had a conversation as, as two equals trying to find out who each other was, and I think that's what impressed me the most. Um, I've heard you say that a, a number of times, that in our first interaction, um, it was the first time that you dealt with a, a, a religious leader who didn't preach at you. You didn't, and, you didn't come at me with the cross in front of you. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> and I don't even know how to understand that because I, I found that such an awkward comment, knowing that getting to know you and having lunch with you was like getting to know and have lunch with anybody else. I was just, you know, developing a friendship and curious to know your background and your mm -hmm. story. And uh, and so I, I guess if we could just reflect on that and what what it is that has built the reputation in us as faith-based people to like preach at people or preach at people first or um, that, that, that doesn't just develop a friendship and is curious to get to know someone. Um, I found that comment odd from the beginning. I never could really understood what was so different, but maybe maybe there was something different there. Um, 
we're going to have some conversation today that you and I have had privately many times. And uh, just as a disclaimer, I really appreciate you being willing to, to share some of this with us as a broader community. Um, as part of this, it takes a village series. You've been an instrumental voice in me, and that's part of what I want to share with our community today. Um, much of our conversation has to do with issues related to LGBTQ. Right. So uh, if you could just start off by sharing a little bit of your own journey, the degree to which you're comfortable, you know, beyond sharing with me, sharing with, you know, a thousand or fifteen hundred of the rest of us. Um, talk about your own journey uh, related to all this. Um, be happy to. I, and, and I'd rather, you know, educate rather than segregate, because yeah. I think it's important for people to understand Um so I, I grew up in the in the fifties and sixties. I was a jock. I'm a gold medal or I'm a captain of the football team. Um, back then, there wasn't the concept of of what gay was like. It was uh, the effeminate guy, the butch the butch girl. I had no concept of of someone like myself. And and so um, I did what everybody else was supposed to do. I, I at nineteen I met Faye. Uh, we got engaged at 20. We got married back then at 21. Mm -hmm. Both of us were basically virgins, and we didn't. Uh, we we played it by ear. This yeah. is what you're supposed to do. Well, yeah. it was always some part that was missing or seemed to be missing, but I didn't know what it was, mm -hmm. and neither did Faye. And uh, we had a, an amazing relationship. As a matter of fact, uh, in in April 14th of this year, we just celebrated our 50th anniversary as friends. Yeah. So we got married in 69, actually divorced in 89. I'm pretty analytical. So I started looking around thinking, well, wait a minute. I'm a member of the Golf and Country Club. My marriage is good. Uh, everything was good yeah. except for that one piece. And uh, I started thinking, okay, who am I really? What's going on here? Mm -hmm. Then I realized, okay, who do I look at when I'm walking down the street? Yeah. More men than women. Yeah. And then after... Um, Again, more thinking, more experimentation. Um, I realized, no, this is who I am. This is this is who I am. What I what I have to say, though, and, and I think this is where you might want to go, is this is not a choice. Mm -hmm. Like I, I know people talk about, you know, you can choose to do X or Y. It's not. And this is certainly part of what I want to talk about, and part of what I appreciate you vulnerably and, and transparently sharing with us, and certainly in in uh, my own learning, you you sharing with me. Because, you know, I'm looking at this guy, yeah, he's got this marriage, kids, sort of a, a happy life. Um, and this wasn't, at some point, a choice you made. It was, it was something that you discovered about yourself. And I, I, I think for, for all of us across our locations, appreciating that your sexual orientation is something that you discover more than it is something that you choose uh, is an important starting place for us. And it's been something that you've helped me to, to understand and to learn a little bit more uh, in kind of an up close and personal way. But even, even, even what attraction is, like we, 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 we sort of take for granted. You grew up, you, you found Becky, you, that's an attraction. We don't question that attraction. Yeah. See, yeah. Especially, especially heterosexuals yeah. don't question. It's yeah. like, oh, I'm attracted to a tall person, a, a chubby person, a skinny person, a, a person of color, an Asian person. We don't yeah. question it. We just say, wow, that person I'm attracted to, yeah. right? Yeah. When you're part of the LGBT, you have to question it because you're told you can't. It's counter. It's counter to, to what yeah. you're supposed yeah. to. Yeah. 
And so there's a lot of questioning going on. I think um, one of the hardest things is to come to the realization that attraction, you can't change. I, I did a documentary years ago on transgender, and that's a whole other issue we could yeah. talk about someday. Yeah. Yeah. But when I did a lot of research, you can change your, your, your gender, in other words, how you present or your gender, yeah. but you can't change your orientation. Right. So that goes totally counter against a lot of the faith-based groups who believe it's a choice. Yeah, yeah. Because it isn't. Yeah. Right? Um, I want to dig deep, deeper into the whole conversation of faith-based groups because in your own story, you came out, you and faith decided it was better to be separate in, yeah. in that marital right. sense, although you've kept more than in touch, you still vacation together and... We're heading out uh, next week to yeah, Martha's Vineyard. You the raise the family, kids together. Yeah. Now, um, just so everybody knows, I proposed to Becky at Martha's Vineyard and you're hosting us in two years when we celebrate our 20 year dating anniversary. So, oh, uh, I am? Yeah, you, you, you have to know that. You're well, going to be you're, you're going to be hosting me at your place. That's news. Um, but, but, you know, you would think that it would be really um, like world shattering for you to have come out. And I'm sure it, it, there was a, a, an era where that was very difficult for your family, but that wasn't the hard part for you. The, the hard part for you that again has affected me was the reaction of particularly people of faith and faith communities. In fact, at one point I remember in, in trying to help me understand, um, you brought over to my office uh, an envelope or like a file folder like about an box, inch thick. Box, yeah, about an inch thick of like correspondence and letters and mail that people felt they needed to write you and say things to you. I was going to get you to bring it today, but we wouldn't have time to read, read through it. Um, can you just talk about some of what that said to you and did to you? Well, for a little context, when I came out in 89, Faye and I divorced, um, there, were, there were, again, regional issues which seemed to have not gone away. Um, and uh, I started speaking up, and it was about needle exchange program and, and, and some, some vis visceral comments by some of the regional counselors back then. That was in 89, 90. And so I was in the paper, and we were talking about gay marriage at the time and all that. So I started getting a lot of hate mail. The interesting thing about getting hate mail is that, you know, before I was an average normal guy, but I was also a little racist, a little sexist, a little homophobe, because that was what I was brought up yeah. to believe a yeah. jock guy was supposed yeah. to be. So in finding a true self, I became a better person. I found all sides of me and I, I was able to embrace softness as well as toughness and all that. Yeah. So here I am out doing what I believe is right which I've always done in high school. I, I led a delegation and <laughs> walked out of school yeah. one time. So um, so I started speaking and, and the emails came and the letters came to my address and everything. But here's the interesting, not one letter in that envelope was secular. Every single one of them had the word God in it. Yeah. Yeah. That's when I started really studying religions, yeah. studying yeah. all of that because I think, wait a minute, I'm a better person. Yeah. And now I'm yeah. not a better person yeah. in the eyes yeah. of a whole group of yeah. people. Yeah. So, Yeah, and how did that originally affect just your view of God by the way all these God people were, were relating to you and treating you? Well, it turned me off, totally. Yeah. And I was brought up in the Armenian church, and I was altar boy, and I, and I was in the choir. And the Armenian church is, is very, you know, it's Eastern Orthodox, very yeah. Catholic. Yeah. And um, 
so my Christianity goes back a long way. Yeah. A long way. Yeah. Sunday school, the whole works, yeah. right? And so all of a sudden I'm thinking, what? That's not the, the, the Jesus I knew or the God I knew. All of a sudden it's hate. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, yeah, it turned me off quite a bit. Yeah. Um, now, more specific to our context, because you haven't just been a friend of me. You've actually been a friend of our church for years. Well, been you. a fellow uh, attender of the Global Leadership Summit. We've taken in that in uh, together the last number of years. And you've tracked with our, our church community's journey and know that we want to have a different kind of impact on the LGBTQ community, that we feel like there's an impact problem, frankly, that the the degree of marginalization and exclusion and even shame that the church at large and Southridge in particular has on the, the gay and lesbian community uh, is very different than the impact that Jesus would have on any people group, let alone a marginalized people group, if he were walking in our shoes in our day. And we call that an impact problem. We've talked about that publicly and, and wanting to do something about that. In your experience, particularly of Southridge, because I know that we've got some, some great examples of people who found acceptance and found safety and found genuine love for who they are uh, in our community. Uh, but we're still a long way from getting there. And you know that. So can you can you talk about even some stories in, in your own mind of examples in Niagara, maybe specifically examples of, of people who tried Southridge and it just, we weren't safe. We, we, we had that kind of impact still. Well, yeah, it, I think there's still a mixed um, message, if you will, or sorry, a mixed receiving, not necessarily the message, yeah. because I, I think what I like about Southridge is that you're trying to be more Christ-like and less Christian, if that makes sense, mm -hmm. right? And, and to quote the Gandhi quote, right? I, I, I like, like your, your Christ. Yeah, but I, I do not yeah, like your yeah, Christians. Exactly. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. That's right. right. That idea. That, that's exactly yeah. it. And so I know several of my friends who are who, who go as well. Um, and, and, and I think that one of the one of the issues right now is that you still have some people who aren't that accepting, who, who may be saying stuff that is not cool, but that's part of a community, right? Mm -hmm. But I think you've got a lot more. Whenever I go there, I don't feel that, you know, there's there's knives in my back yeah. or anything like yeah. that. And I'm sure some are uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. And even with this, they're yeah. going to be sitting and <laughs> watching going, yeah. oh, my God, yeah. Yeah. I can't believe you're doing this, Jeff. Yeah. And, uh, and that's fine because the more we get to know each other, I think one of the things that we had a conversation a while back was, how do you get out past the community? And partly what I said to you, I think, if I remember correctly, and at old age, we don't sometimes. <laughs> but, you know, you're brought up in a Christian church. You go to Christian school. You hang out with Christians. And then all of a sudden, everybody else becomes the other because you don't know who they are. Yeah. And I think it's really important to, to, to find that diversity and, and to experience other people and say, who are you? That's what we did. Yeah. Who are you? So that we can really get to know that person beyond what the label is mm -hmm. of that person. Mm -hmm. And I think back to your, your explanation of how we met and just the impact that I had on you. Um, it was a lot more curiosity and listening and learning mm -hmm. than convincing, persuading, preaching, exactly. teaching, you know. Uh, and, and I would agree with you that that curious learning, help me understand your journey uh, kind of side, that, that by definition creates a lot more safety. I don't know if you're gonna get to this in the next, but. Um, one of my concerns were more about the youth. 
in your congregation yeah. or any yeah. faith-based yeah. congregation. Yeah. And I don't know if you want to talk about that right now or you want to get into that. But that Well, I'm thinking about, uh, you know, we have, have a mutual friend who actually was part of our church years ago. Yes. And uh, you were trying to convince them based on what you knew of us and who we were trying to be. Uh, you tried to convince them to give Southridge kind of another chance. Well, actually, I've got two or three of them. And they and they came and think of this one particular gentleman. And, yeah. uh, you know, he came maybe two or three Sundays and he just couldn't do it. He can't just, do it. Just didn't. I guess what happens is the pain is so deep, right? And, and even with uh, some of the people you, you've got there now who, who we've talked about, <clears throat> when you're a marginalized person or when your faith is so strong, and in this particular in, individual, his faith and part of being part of your community was very strong, yeah. right? And when he really discovered true self and he came out, Believe, and, and this is going to sound harsh to everybody who's listening, but the whole, the whole church turned their back on yeah, him. Yeah. He was suicidal. He, yeah. he tried to commit suicide. Yeah. So you can't all of a sudden say, hi, sorry's no good, yeah. or sorry, you know, we're sorry. No, sorry's no good in yeah. some instances. Yeah. So it's, and, it's, and it's tough. And I realize this is a heavy conversation, but it's heavy because it's real. I know a pastor friend of mine in Chicago, Bill Hybels, who convenes yeah. the, the summit, you know, he has this Saturday night group that he's spent you know, years with and we'll talk about going around the room and learning their stories and their journeys. And one of the things he learned in, in that environment was, you know, especially people from a faith background, you know, the number of them who, when they discovered that they were gay, immediately tried to deny that they were gay. Yeah. All, all of them. The number of them who, when they could no longer deny that they were gay, presumed that a deeper devotion to Christ or a deeper degree of followership would change them or, you know, convert them. All of them. You know, the number of them that fully invested themselves into trying to be changed through, you know, deeper devotion. All of them. And they tell horror stories of, you know, spending their life savings Conversion on therapy exorcisms and retreats and all this kind of stuff. And then, number four, the number of them who when they realized after discovering that they were gay, that there was nothing that they could do to change their same gender attraction, considered taking their life. That's right. All of them. Well, the stats go, uh, LGBT teens are uh, one third more likely to commit suicide than every yeah. other teen. Yeah, and, 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 and it's sad. And, and I remember at the end of our conversation, the very first time we met at Katz, you had looked at me and you said, Look, pal, <laughs> I don't care what you believe. We got to stop the suicides. And I, I, I took that from two perspectives. First of all, just the urgency of like, this is a really serious issue in the lack of safety that people perceive the church to be. The church should be the safest place on earth. The representation of Jesus ought to be known by default to people that this is a place where you're going to be loved and accepted and can process who you are and how you're growing and things like that. Um, and so I, I took it from that perspective. But I, uh, the other thing that I took that was significant, and maybe this will segue our conversation, was your language of we. We've got to stop the suicides. And I thought, how in one conversation can you view the two of us as a we? But you did right away. And uh, it, it, it leads into a, a, a subject that I want us to talk about that, that you've often referred to as the difference between 
acceptance and agreement. Can you talk about that a little bit? Well, in, in the model that we teach, there's there's a everybody works tolerate or I'm going to tolerate something, but uh, you know, one of one of the modules we do is acceptance is not necessarily agreement, and that's a very important aspect. Um, if I want to put ketchup in my coffee, that's my business. Um, you know, but for me to try to force you to put ketchup in your coffee yeah. is where it's wrong, or for you to say, I can't put ketchup in my coffee because of whatever your belief system is, is also wrong yeah. in my book, yeah. in my teaching, yeah. right? Yeah. So the idea is that acceptance is not necessarily agreement. It means I can accept the fact that you believe certain things. I don't have to agree with it, and I don't have to condone it, and I don't have to be in the same room with it if it's going to abuse me, yeah. right? Yeah. By the same token, once you accept you don't have to try to change. And that's one of the key aspects. Mm -hmm. um, we've talked about, I, I, I think about our little, our, our different, slightly different concepts of what God is. We don't have to convince each other that yeah. one of us is right or yeah. one of us is wrong, but the idea is, wow, you believe it that way, I believe it this way. Yeah. It's still the same thing. And what, what, what captivated me about this part of our conversation, we've talked about this a lot over the years, is, you know, in the last number of years, we've looked at not even on these issues, but just in general, the amount of division across the Christian church, let alone the amount of polarization of the Christian church with the surrounding society and thinking like, this isn't the unifying, uh, you know, unmarginalizing presence of Jesus. Mm -hmm. And it certainly isn't the prayer for oneness that he prayed in John 17 before he gave up his, his life. And so on that front, we're thinking like, there's a problem there too, right? Not just this impact problem on the, on the gay community, but there, there's a, there's just a unity problem here. And we've been kind of on parallel tracks. We've been on this journey as a church the last number of years that we've referred to as love beyond belief, mm -hmm. love beyond belief, meaning that regardless of the beliefs you hold, you are choosing to enter into relationship to engage in mutuality and you know humility and shared learning and even partnership to make differences with people without requiring the condition of sharing the same views on everything let alone the things that matter very much to you and so as we've sensed god wanting to move us and grow us in this capacity for love beyond belief you and i've had these conversations about the difference between acceptance and agreement and, and and that's been significant as well what i'd like to clarify though for everyone just to because because you and i've got another buddy uh, grant laflash and we've started to create this conversation out in the community very similarly called divided we stand and, and I think that there's a misnomer in all of this because I think when people assume that, you know, we can be friends and even kind of encourage each other and partner together to make a positive difference in the Niagara where we live, people assume that that's because we're on the same page. No. And I mean, I don't want us to get into a scrap, but like we actually view things differently oh definitely especially about the th things that we're talking about today we come at it from different perspectives and do not hold the same views Could describe that for you and and what it's been like for you to choose uh we stand even though we're divided from that perspective how have you chosen that love beyond belief with me and with with some of us from southridge I think, a lot, I think a lot of it is once you're comfortable in your own faith, whatever that is, once you're comfortable in who you are in your own sexuality, your own being, 
a person who is truly faith-based doesn't talk about their faith. A person who is truly rich with money doesn't talk about their money if they're comfortable. I don't have to know how much you paid for this chair or whatever it is. Yeah. Because if you're comfortable, a person who is comfortable with their own self doesn't have what we call the eye disease. Mm -hmm. You know, I did this, I'm that, I'm that. Because it's all, it's, it, it's a secondary aspect yeah. of their life. And yeah, uh, people should know, we disagree on a lot of issues. But one of the keys with us, we don't have to put each other in a corner to prove one of us is righter yeah. than the other. Yeah. So whether or not I believe there's a man on a cloud, yeah. whether or not I believe in gay marriage and you're not quite there yet, yeah. whether or not, et cetera, et cetera, why would I want to put you in that corner to say, you had better give me an answer right now, agree with me or don't? Yeah. It doesn't matter. Yeah. You know, and, and we've certainly talked about those things oh, of course and, we have. and pushed back. I remember the one time you, you, you had looked at me after another sermon that we'd showed that the message was called Don't Be a Butthead. And afterwards we talked and you said, so why are you being a butthead? Right. <laughs> and uh, so, so my point is, I understand what you believe and I understand what you believe about what I believe and that they're different. And uh, I, I guess my point is to not assume that the movement of divided we stand or the movement of love beyond belief requires you to believe the same things or to not have beliefs. Right. They actually counterintuitively saying you've got to be comfortable with yourself, comfortable with what you believe. And we say that often that the, the, the first message in, in Romans chapter 14 and 15, where we've anchored a lot of this, is to have convictions, to know why it is that you believe what you believe. And out of the strength and, and rootedness of those convictions, you actually are more open to, to relate to people who might see the world differently than well, you. You've heard, the, there's an old story about cutting the ends off the roast. You've heard that. Yeah. So, you yeah. know, why we cut the ends off the roast. What I do all the time is, why do I believe what I believe? Yeah. Yeah. That does two things. Number one, if I can't really understand it, if I can't justify it, if I can't have it and hold it strongly, why am I believing it? Yeah. Then maybe I should change or at least alter what I'm thinking. Yeah. But if my belief is that strong, if I know it from whether it's faith, fact, science, it doesn't matter what, now I can say, yes, I can discuss that with you and say, that's what I believe. Yeah. So therefore, I can stand strongly in my belief yeah. system without having to try and change you into that belief system. And so practically speaking, you would say to all of us, uh, you know, number one, do the work to understand why it is that you believe what you believe. Don't just cut the ends of the roast off the ham because your great-grandmother's oven was too small and <laughs> it only fit then and you just did it because you did it for generations. Right. So now let's also get back to all of the teenagers in your congregation or maybe married men or women in your congregation who are really struggling and are really going through hell right now yeah. because they don't know they can talk to their parents or their partners, or yeah. especially or you, pastor. or yeah. especially yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why something like this is very important. Yeah. Because they gotta know they can come to you and say, this is what I'm feeling. Yeah. Please don't ostracize me from yeah. the church. Yeah. Please don't take away my right to be here, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. Because right now, if God hates what I'm doing, I'm gonna go kill myself. Yeah. And as I said to you one time very strongly, that's on you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. I'm thinking about some practical steps that we can take. Know why it is that you believe what you believe. Be a student of yeah. people outside of yourself or your own circles. Mm -hmm. You're talking about even, especially in the in the church, this Christian bubble of sorts that kind of you know, 
uh, we find ourselves in. You know, reach out, be curious, be a learner. I just finished reading the Quran. Hmm. You know, and and just to learn. Yeah. To learn, because yeah. if you want to talk about something. Yeah. And remember, we had Mustafa on one of our on the show yeah. that we did. Yeah. Well, he went from saying that homosexuality was a cancer and you should stay away from that, mm. to after he and I having conversation after yeah. conversation, yeah. invited me to a Muslim wedding, and I sat at the table with his family, his family and his four kids. Yeah. Yeah. That's what we should be looking yeah. at and doing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, cycling back again to the to the specifically LGBTQ conversation. Any final thoughts on what each of us personally as faith people and what we together as a church family can do to increase the safety and to reduce that sense of ostracizing and marginalization that the church in general is having with the gay community these days? I think the biggest thing is, is, is getting people to understand it's not a choice. It isn't a choice. Yeah. Look at me. I didn't wake up one day. I'm going to turn gay and mess with my wife, my family, my society. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and it, it wasn't always easy for me. It still yeah. isn't. You know, I think I've told you a story. My, my brother disowned me. Hmm. I haven't talked to him in almost 20 years. When my mother died, he wouldn't put my name in the paper. I didn't go to my mother's funeral. Hmm. So there's pain and, and, and yeah. hurt there as well. Yeah. But I've forgiven him. I'll say hi to him. He may not say hi to me. The point is, is that from Southridge's standpoint, the people who are questioning and struggling, they've got to know it's safe. You guys got to, this is safe. You've, you've got to know it's safe. Yeah. Uh, speak to somebody, talk to somebody. And, and, and especially the youth, you know, yeah. I, we, got, we got to stop, as I said to you before, and the suicides. They got to know they can come uh, and, and speak, and, yeah. you know. And, and, and I think go all the way back to, you mentioned him a couple of times. Tell me when Jesus hated. Tell me when Jesus said, I'm going to disown you as a son or daughter because yeah. you chose something outside of what I think is the right way. Yeah. yeah. Nah. Yeah. Nah. Um, we could talk for hours. We usually do. Yes, um, but we'll, we'll shut it down at this point. I want to say a couple things uh, to you and, and I suppose to everybody else. First of all, thanks for sharing uh, with us today and thanks for sharing with me over the years. Uh, these are very delicate, in a lot of ways, sacred, you know, intimate conversations. And I just appreciate the, not even just the honesty, but just the transparency and courage and willingness to, to let us learn uh, from a journey like yours. Uh, the other thing I want to say is just thanks for being a friend to me and to us. Uh, apparently, I've had an impact on you. You've had an impact on me and you've been super gracious uh, with a stereotype that I wear uh, that I know has caused pain and hurt in your world and gave me a chance. And, uh, you know, now we just enjoy each other. And I hope that even, you know, we were pretty deliberate to, to have this conversation in my living room, um, not just metaphorically, but li literally as an example that we we can share our lives together and, and, and be f these kinds of friends, even though uh, we don't necessarily see the world the same way. To that, I, I want you to know how committed I and we are to that challenge that you gave me years ago, that I don't care what you believe, we've got to stop the suicides. And we're going to continue to try to do that and to try to make Southridge a safer place for uh, the LGBTQ community in Niagara and to try to change that default from presuming that the church that represents Jesus is a marginalizing, unsafe place and instead trying to, 
you know, reset the default to people in Niagara that, wow, I think the Christian church would be the safest place for me and the place where I would find the greatest degree of Christ-like acceptance and love. We're committed to that. And most of all, I appreciate that we, we could be committed to that uh, together with you, that, that you'd say, you know, we need to stop the suicides and you'd actually want to include me in that. Uh, you've been super helpful for, for me and for us, uh, which is why we wanted to share this conversation in uh, this edition of It Takes a Village. So I hope it's been helpful for you. Thanks again for coming. We'll see you next week.